Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. As you're being seated, if you'll turn with me over to the book of Acts, chapter 18. We're going to continue studying in the book of Acts. Pastor Brooke did an amazing, amazing job, as she always does last week, uh, reminding us of this commitment that Paul has uh, on his journey. And this, in his second missionary journey, we'll continue looking at it and seeing exactly where Paul is, what God is doing through the Apostle Paul, and what it looks like for every one of our lives. And so in Acts chapter 18, we're just going to dive right into that, and then I'm going to ask you to turn over uh, to Romans chapter 12. We're going to take a look at Paul's life and then Paul's writings because they go hand in hand in what God is doing in his life. But in Acts chapter 18, we're going to start reading in verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter. So if you remember, Paul is in the, towards the end here of his second missionary journey, Uh, He just left the city of Athens. There he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. He gets to Corinth. As Pastor Brooke reminded us last week, in the city of Corinth, uh, it is a true perverted city in the truest sense of the definitions of those words. And in this city, people are living their lives all 100% for self-pleasure. And Paul shows up And he really shakes things up. He starts in the temple. The word is getting out. And you actually see that they are demanding that he be quiet. Uh, And then he has to stand trial. Uh, The government kicks him out of the trial and says, hey, this this is a spiritual matter. And so take care of that on your own. And then we get down to verse 18. And Paul is getting ready to leave Corinth, the city of Corinth in, in the country of Greece. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had cut off his hair at at Centria because of a vow that he had taken. We're going to come back to this verse because this is significant. But verse 19, they arrived in Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Now remember, Antioch was Paul's hub. Uh, That was where he and Barnabas had originally launched out on that first missionary journey. And we see countless people give their life to Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike. Because Paul was reasoning with both, even though he was the apostle primarily to the Gentiles. And here Paul has finally wrapped up the end of this missionary journey, and he gets back to Antioch. Remember in Antioch, it was kind of the hub of Christianity at this point in time. And it was here, of course there was Jerusalem, but this was kind of the hub outside of Jerusalem, if you will. 
And it was here where uh, Barnabas was actually sent down, and he was uh, encouraging each one of the believers there to grow in their faith. Through the book of Acts, we see that exactly happening. And then from Antioch, people were sent out. Barnabas needed help. He sent for Paul. Paul joined him. They went out on a missionary journey. They separated for a second missionary journey. And at every point, what we see are new believers coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ and the believers that were actually being strengthened in their faith, or we could say that they were growing in their walk with the Lord. The amazing thing for me here is in these journeys that they were on, this is how God was using them. People were being saved. People were growing in their faith. And the number one measure of a healthy church are people being saved and people growing in their faith. If we are not on this mission that we see that's happening in Antioch and then people being sent out from Antioch, then we have to ask ourselves, are we just a country club, if you will, that's gathering together for fun? Because our mission that Jesus actually gave to us before he ascended and we see begin to happen as we started into the book of Acts was to share his good news that God came in the flesh to defeat sin, to take away the consequence of sin, and to take back the things that hell had stolen from God's people. And so then as the church launches, God knows that we can't do it in our own flesh. Adam and Eve couldn't do it in their own flesh. We can't do it in our own flesh. And every opportunity that we try to live the life that God demands of us, we always fail. And so he sent the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the empowering force for every believer in Jesus Christ. And when we are truly committed to God, we will be filled with His Spirit and operate in His Spirit so that we can live holy lives that He requires of us. This was the message that Paul was teaching. This was that that they actually experienced on the day of Pentecost when they were filled to be, uh, to be sent out into the world so that people would get saved and they would be strengthened in their faith. And so this is happening. This is what's taking place. But now Paul's back in, in uh, he's, he's, um, he's back in Antioch. Verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place. Throughout the region of Galatia and Phygra, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only of the baptism of John. When he began to, or he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, when, a, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now let's go back to verse 18. 
because I want to focus on verse 18. And if, as you're reading this passage of Scripture, it can just strictly kind of become a diary of the end of Paul's second missionary journey. And then when he gets back um, to the core, the hub, he just takes another trip here. But in verse 18, there's something significant that happens in Paul's life that I want to talk about for just a few moments, and then we'll get to Romans chapter 12. Verse 18, Acts chapter 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now listen to this. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centria because of a vow that he had taken. Because of a vow, he had his hair cut off because of a vow that he had taken. If you'll turn over to Romans chapter 12, we'll get there in just one second, and we're going to read a good portion of that. But I want to talk about this vow that the Apostle Paul actually took here. And why was it that Paul cut off his hair? And what is going on in this verse? I wish that there were a lot of verses here to explain this to us so that just as we're reading through the Scripture, we don't miss it. I want to focus on this specific vow and what it meant in Paul's life and how it can guide us to grow deeper in our faith. This was a Nazarite vow. We've uh, think about Nazarite vows when we think about Samson. We think about the Old Testament. And if you think about Paul's life before he actually got saved, before he had the encounter with Jesus Christ, Paul was someone that he tells us that he obeyed every section of the law. He had not broken the law, but he lived by the law. He was trained in the law, he obeyed the law, and he enforced the law. One of the reasons that Paul actually became a persecutor of Christians, whenever people would say that they believe in Jesus Christ, that God came in the flesh, that Jesus died for their... Paul would take them out. He would take their life out because he was defending the law. And it took a personal encounter with Jesus for Paul to change his life, to live a life surrendered. And then we get to Acts chapter 18, verse 18, uh, Paul gets saved. He, he sees countless people saved. He's reasoning with them in the temple. Uh, Gentiles are coming into relationship with Jesus. Paul being the staunch defender of this blood of Jesus being for everybody, not just uh, for uh, the Jews. We get to 1818, Acts 1818, and it's easy to pass over what's actually going on in Paul's life. He has made a Nazarite vow. And in this vow, it's a life of total devotion and total commitment that was underneath the law. In this vow, there were a few primary things that the one who took the vow had to abide by. They didn't eat any type of grape because they didn't want anything that was actually fermented to actually go into their body. And so they were very careful about that, to not allow anything into their body for a period of time, one to three years, um, that would have actually been fermented. They didn't go around anything that was considered unclean. They stayed away from that, and that was spelled out in the law. And one of the things that the, the, the men who took Nazarite vows is that during this time, they didn't cut their hair. And then when we get to Acts 18, 18, 
Paul's at the end of this vow that he had taken, and he's getting ready to launch out, and he actually then cuts his hair. We'll see in a couple of weeks when we get into, I think it's Acts 20 or chapter 21, that Paul actually begins this un- another vow in his life. Well, what is a Nazarite vow? It's really just a moment of total consecration and total devotion to the Lord. And in this season of total consecration or total devotion, what is happening is Paul is saying is, I am seeking God 100% in every area and in every moment of my life. What he's saying in this vow that he's taken, I am not going to rely on any past experiences that would compel me going forward. The first car that I had, I've shared, I've shared with you on Sunday mornings. It was, it was just a junk car. My grandparents had, had a, a car lot. It was the car that nobody would buy, um, and it had sat there for years. And so that was the first car that I had. It was a good car for me. I loved it. Uh, but one of the things that I had to learn was that it had um, so many things wrong with it, but it didn't have a gas gauge that worked. And I just had to keep track of my miles. One of the things that I think happened often was that there were periods that it sucked more gas because I would run out of gas before I would actually get back to my miles. Um, So I knew that I could go X number of miles before I had to put gas in the car. And there were countless times that as I was driving that car, I knew that I was just running on fumes. Have any of you ever done that in vehicles before? You're just running on fumes. Uh, whenever we bought, um, whenever we have a, a red car, whenever we bought that car, it has a gauge on it, and it tells you X number of miles until uh, you're out of fuel. I remember I was driving that car one time, and I got to zero on that, and I thought, "Am I out of gas?" It says I'm out. It says I have zero miles until empty, and I prayed so hard and pulled into the first gas station. Because at that point, I probably had just a little bit of gas sloshing around in the tank, and I was, you could say, running on fumes in that moment. What Paul has done in this vow is he said, I am not going to live a religious life running on fumes. I am not going to rely on past experience to compel me in this moment. But instead, what Paul is saying is, the fumes are great. But I don't have to live a life spiritually with an empty tank. Instead, I can live a life that is full on my tank spiritually. And I think the thing for a lot of us that is so tempting in our life is that we want to live life spiritually because we can hide in it on past experience and live off the fumes of the past instead of living lives right now that are full in our spiritual tank. And what Paul is saying, I'm not living that way. I am not, I'm, I'm living a life that is 100% devoted, 100% committed to walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul had surrendered every area of his life, even to the point that he wasn't relying on any type of specific income to come into his life. He was living totally on faith, going from city to city to city, relying on a trade that he actually had, and relying on God 100% of his life. So I want to ask 
you to ask yourself a question. Because as, as I prepared this message, I had to ask myself this question. How easy is it for us to rely on yesterday's Bible reading? Or a religious time that we had with the Lord where we just knew that the Lord's present presence was right there with us in our life in the past or how many times have we woke up and thought you know God I just don't have time for you right now I've got so much on my to-do list if you'll just give me your grace for today I promise that I'll catch up at some point in the future I had such a great time with you last week I had such a rich time of devotion and experiencing your presence and studying your word in the past if you'll just give me some grace today then I'll get caught up eventually. What Paul is doing here, and we see in this vow that he's actually made, is he's not living that way. He's living a life of total devotion committed to Jesus Christ. You know, there's an old hymn that we used to sing, or we used to sing, we used to sing it too. You know, singing and singing are two different things. The church that I grew up in, we sang this song. Um, it says, since Jesus gave his life for me, should I not give him mine? I'm consecrated, Lord, to thee. I shall be wholly thine. My life, O oh Lord, I give to thee. My talents, my time, and all. I'll serve thee, Lord, and faithful be. I'll hear your faintest call. Mildred Howard wrote those words from a disturbed moment in her life. And it was her way of saying, God, I'm not living on any past experience that I've had with you. I'm not living on the fumes from the past. Instead, I'm going to live my life totally committed. My life, O oh Lord, I give to thee. My talents, my time, and all. I'll serve thee, Lord, and faithful be. She was saying, the fumes of the past aren't going to fuel me today. I'm living today on my walk with God in this moment. And so then we fast forward in Paul's life. And he's in prison, and he's actually writing a letter. And here in Romans chapter 12, we actually see Paul spell out what this looked like in his life. And he was writing it as an encouragement. But I believe that Paul was writing from his actual experience and how in this time of dedication and in this time of consecration, Paul is saying, I've done this. And in Romans chapter 12, if you'll look starting at verse 9 with me, we're going to read here to, from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. It's a little bit of reading, not very long, but I just want you to catch from Paul's experience what he is encouraging the church, encouraging us to actually live out and apply in our life as people that are not living on the past fumes in our spiritual life, but instead living afresh and anew on our relationship and our time with God and then applying that to our life. Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You know, just this one verse right here. If we just wrote this one verse down and looked at it every single day in our life, it would be a guiding force in our devotion and in our commitment to Jesus Christ. 
The first, he says, love has to be sincere. There's no option. Let everything you do be guided by love because we've experienced the love of the Lord, then that love has to be sincere in our life and applied in every area of our life. And then he gives us right after that, after he says, hey, this is how you have to walk in your, in your life. Love has to be sincere. And then he says, you have to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And here's the beautiful picture in this one verse of what I think Paul was committed to that we see him actually applying every day in his life. Now we think, we think hate and love can't go hand in hand together. But Paul spells it out as actions that we have to apply in our life. Your love has to be sincere. You have to hate what is evil. And then you have to cling to what is good. And it's interesting, I think, in Paul's choice of words, in encouraging the church, that he starts with love and then gets to hating the evil. But you know what the temptation is for me? I don't know about any of anybody else, but for me, I like to champion the hate what is evil. And I'll tell you, I am not in any way, shape, or form a perfect person. And I often want to lead because of the nature that I have, hating what is evil. And I do it oftentimes in the name of love, thinking if I just hate what is evil and I spell it out, then God is always going to prevail. But Paul didn't start with the hate part. He started with the love part. He said, love has to be sincere. And you know what? Last week, as Pastor Brooke was spelling out some of the perversions in the city of Corinth, it would be easy to perceive that as hate. But it wasn't. It was 100% love. Whenever we stand on the promise of God... Sometimes it can be perceived as hate. But as long as our love is sincere and we're doing it with the grace of Jesus Christ as our guide, then love is sincere and we can hate what is evil. Now note, in this passage, Paul does not say in Romans 12 verse 9 that we should hate who is evil. He says hate what is evil. The thing that we have to remind ourselves are people who are living with some evil in their lives are victims of the enemy. They are not the enemy themselves. And there's a clear distinction here that we have to grasp if our love is going to be sincere. If we are going to live lives that are devoted and committed to Jesus Christ. Whenever people have evil in their lives, they are victims of the lies of the enemy. They took the bait. That's the same that happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. They took the bait from the enemy. And because of that, they experienced evil in their life. The beautiful thing that I think that we have to see, whenever we see another human being is that that human being, regardless of what's going on in their life, was created in the image of God in the same way that we were. 
the exact same way. And Paul says, regardless of the junk, if you will, in their life, love must be sincere. And hate what is evil. And cling to what is good. You see, Paul lived this in his life. He would get into a city and he would see people that took the bait from the enemy. That were living with some evil in their lives. And Paul always stood up against the evil. And when people then began to do that in the, name of, uh, in the name of God, he then opposed those people because they were not living lives devoted and committed to Jesus Christ. There's a clear distinction, but yet a fine line here that we have to grasp as followers of Jesus Christ who are living lives devoted and committed to each other. And you know what? We in this refuge of grace are going to stand up for the word of God. It doesn't have problems in this book. We don't have to add to and we don't have to take away. There is no amendment to the things that God has already said. We just take the truth and then we live lives of love that are sincere, hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. But Paul didn't stop there. He went on to verse 13. Or I'm sorry, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Again, here, you know what Paul is saying? Don't live off of yesterday's fumes spiritually, but live in a filled spiritual tank. Live with that in your life, being the person that God created you to be in his image, as his image bearer to a world that are victims, that, that is a victim of the enemy. Paul says, don't live on the past, live in today. Then verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, don't, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this was the life of obedience that Paul was actually living in this vow that he had taken. And so we see this vow actually ending here. And Paul launching out on a new journey only to take another vow, reminding him of the devotion and the commitment that he had to the works of Jesus Christ in his life. So then we have to ask ourselves, what are the works of Jesus Christ? Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. 
That's why, that's why God came in the flesh, to destroy the works of the enemy. Well, what are the works of the enemy? Jesus told us in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Jesus came to defeat everything in your life that is stealing, that is killing, and is destroying. And despite what others may do to us or attempt to do through us, our job is to live a life of devotion and commitment first to Jesus Christ in the way that Paul did in this vow and then live it out in the way that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. The thing that we have to remind ourselves, and I have this written in a journal page from several years ago that I go back to all the time. I am not living my life for anybody except for Jesus Christ. I love my wife dearly. I would lay down my life for her if I had to. But I'm not living my life, despite how much I love her, for my wife. I'm living my life for Jesus Christ. I love my two daughters. I would do anything for them. And again, give my life for them if I had to. But I'm not living my life for the two of them. I'm living my life for Jesus Christ. And as long as we keep Jesus Christ as our focus, then what Paul has told us in this vow, in this commitment, in this devotion that he's made to, to Jesus Christ, and then explaining it to us and how we can live that out in Romans chapter 12, that is actually possible through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because if we try to live on our own fuel, it's like putting diesel in a gasoline engine. It might work for a couple of miles, but it's not going to work past that. You're going to start to hear knocking, you're going to see a lot of smoke, and you're going to start to have a lot of problems, and the engine's going to lock up. It won't run anymore, because you have to have the right fuel in order to drive an engine, and that's true in our life, in our spiritual walk. We cannot live the life that Paul has laid out here in Romans chapter 12, living it through our own power. It's impossible. Now, we might be able to fool a lot of people, and we might be able to get by for some period of time, but at some point, the cards, the house of cards that we've built is going to come tumbling to the ground, and it will be revealed that we've been living on our own fuel. And it's just simple a uh, matter of the wrong fuel. We tried on our own. We replaced the fuel, which is the Holy Spirit. And then we live the way that Paul has outlined here in Romans chapter 12. We make certain that we are living life compelled by the fuel of the Spirit inside every single one of us. So that we live out the work that Jesus came to do of destroying the works of the enemy. What God has called us to do is to live a life of being an obedient believer, and that simply means that we love with the love of Christ and we hate what is evil. That's what Paul says in Romans 12 verse 9. We love sincerely. We hate what is evil, and then we cling to what is good. And so the decision for each one of us is to be one of just simply making up our minds. What are we going to be committed to? What are we going to be devoted to? Are we going to be devoted to self? Are we going to be devoted to building our own kingdoms? 
Are we going to be devoted to living a life that pleases us and others around us? Or are we simply going to be God's people reflecting his image? I wholeheartedly believe that this is what it means for us to be a refuge of grace that is operating a church, a school, and an outreach ministry with a thrift store. Simply reflecting the image of Jesus to people that are hurting, who are victims of the enemy, that we're calling them up to this life of devotion, this life of commitment, this life of consecration, if you will, so that they too apply these principles that Paul has actually given to us. And then in those moments where we make mistakes, that's okay as long as we repent and we get right back on it. That's why it's a refuge of grace, not a refuge of law. When someone fails, and we all do, that's okay. We repent, we get back on track in that life of devotion and commitment, and then we walk just the way that Paul has told us to do. Life is a life of choices that we make every single day, multiple times, throughout the day. And we can wake up thinking that I'm going to get through this day being devoted to Jesus, committed to him, living a life of consecration. But the enemy's crafty and he's wise and he throws everything at us. And there is not one of us that has ever stepped foot in this room that has ever done it perfect. None of us. No one ever. And that's okay. Because love must be sincere. We hate what is evil. And we cling to what is good. And when someone stumbles, we help them up. That is a refuge of grace. And that is who God has called us to be. Let me give you a verse. If we were to go backwards in the book of Romans, Paul says in Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then they do not belong to Christ. You see, what Paul is saying here is we have to be people that live not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. I've highlighted it in yellow for us as a reminder of this is what it means, or this is how we actually live out this devoted, consecrated life, this life of obedience that God has called us to. This is how we accomplish each one of those things that Paul spelled out in Romans chapter 12. The only way it's possible is not by living in the realm of the flesh, but instead living in the realm of the Spirit. The way that we live in the realm of the Spirit is to do it every single moment of every single day, living afresh and anew in the experience that God has for us in this moment, not off the fumes of the past. And so I close this morning by asking you this question. Where in your life Are you living off the spiritual fumes of the past? 
Where have you been phoning it in, if you will? In what areas in your walk with God have you become good at faking it to try to fool other people? Where are you living in the realm of the flesh instead of living in the realm of the Spirit? Listen, this is, this is something that we have to be honest with ourselves in this moment about. Because the call of God is for us to step up higher. So that in this refuge of grace, our love is sincere. We hate what is evil and we cling to what is good. Not for our own sake and not for living our lives for other people. But instead for living our lives devoted, committed in consecration to Jesus. In the way that we see Paul in Acts chapter 18 verse 18. So where in your life... Are you living off of those spiritual fumes of the past? Or maybe where have you just been getting by to get by? And you need a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand with me. Our worship team's going to come. to lead us through this next moment where I want to ask you to have a listening heart to the Lord because God will reveal these things where he wants to revive us, to freshen us, to take total control over so we're not operating on our own power. And it takes a listening heart. And if we don't have a listening heart to him, then we will always have a disobedient spirit. So I want to ask you to let this be a moment to where it is a listening heart to what God would say to us right now. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.